0: Johnny, if we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to just uh, tag on to this uh, this video of what we're calling uh, Convoy of Hope's One Day to Feed the World. And so leading up to Mother's Day, we are going to take up a special offering that will go, 100% of that will go to Convoy of Hope. If you're not familiar with Convoy of Hope, it's a, just a great organization. Literally any natural disaster, earthquake, um, hurricane, like they they take semis, they take all this equipment, and they go to those places uh, that need it the most. Right now um, there is a Big presence right now in Poland, Convoy of Hope does, uh, where they are helping uh, the Ukrainian refugees. So if you've been following this, uh, they've estimated UN has estimated there's 4.7 million refugees that have left Ukraine. Uh, There's another over 7 million that have been displaced internally within Ukraine. So if you think that's almost, that's over 11 million people. Do you know how many people the population of Ohio is? 11 million people. So if you think about that, 11 11 million people are without their home. And so we, uh, uh, even Vineyard USA, we have this partnership uh, with Convoy of Hope. And so, again, just for the next four Sundays, the encouragement is the week um, of after Mother's Day is to give one day salary. Uh, is the challenge. Now, of course, we all may be in different positions. We may not be able to give that, but that is the challenge. 100% of that will go to Convoy of Hope. And uh, if you just think about we, we kind of, it was half strategic, half, I think it was just how it's worked. Um, you know, we're doing a series on hope. Um, where this leads up to Mother's Day. Uh, if you're familiar with most of the refugees are mothers and children. And so this is just a way to just bless and be uh, hope to those people. So uh, each week for the next uh, few weeks we're just going to show a video just talking about um, what this uh, that these funds go towards. We even, there have been vineyard pastors who are actually in Poland now, like who are helping oversee some things. Uh, I think next week we'll show a video of, of a guy, uh, a vineyard pastor that's over there. And so if you want more information as we share the videos you can just go to hope.lancastervineyard.org and there will be a link to give there so again uh, it's not we're not taking any cut it's just going directly uh, to a convoy of hope and it's just an invitational thing if you want to be a part uh, of that uh, we'd encourage you to do so so I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in all right so Jesus um, as we just worship we just we worship you You know, this is uh, this is my first Easter uh, message as senior pastor, and uh, you know, I've gotten prayer of that there wouldn't be extra pressure or uh, there wouldn't be this performance. But my prayer along has been, this this message sells itself. Uh, um, if I have to if I have to bring this thing to life and make it special, then uh, we don't have much hope. <laughs> um, Jesus, this message is, uh, is, is, is it's a message of itself. And so my prayer is, Holy Spirit, would we just have our hearts uh, open to receive this message, to see uh, more of what you have for us in this message, of, of this hope that we have in you. Um, and I pray just power on this message that there would be just a real tangible experience and presence of your power. I pray for our kids as well, as they hear about Jesus and the empty tomb, that they too would encounter uh, the risen Jesus in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go right into it. So if you go to Mark 16, so on Good Friday, uh, we, we talked through how Jesus, he entered this garden, and he was given this test, this test that was almost a reminder of Adam and Eve's test. Would he, would he take this cup of suffering? And... Uh, And what we learn on Good Friday is he did, but it it cost him his life, that he took this cup of suffering uh, that would cost him his life in order that we wouldn't take the cup. And we've been given this exchange of cups. Uh, This cup of suffering he he took, and in in his place he gave us uh, his cup of his blood, uh, as what we talk about communion. But we're gonna continue the story um, whoops. In Matthew, or in Mark 16, we're going to continue on with the story, and you can follow along. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. He said, "Don't be alarmed," he told them, "You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they, see where the place they put him." But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Now, many of you will have this little note, and I put it on the screen. uh, But many of you in your Bible should have this note that says, some of the earliest manuscripts conclude with 16.8. Which is like the worst ending to a story ever, right? Like, this is like, you know, why this abrupt ending? It doesn't make sense. It's left with this, this charge to, to these women hey, go tell Peter and the other disciples he's risen. And it says they were afraid and they didn't tell anybody. End of story that's just the, like, why wouldn't you just, like, keep telling the whole story, right? Like, how Jesus, how they encountered Jesus, how they eventually did go tell the disciples. I mean, Mary and John, when John wrote his gospel, he includes the story of Mary actually encountering Jesus uh, at the tomb. She thought he was a gardener, and uh, and, and why not include that? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like Mark, did like one of Mark's kids like just accidentally call her on that last page or something, or did they run out of toilet? Like, why is this abrupt ending? And so later on, what they think is, uh, you know, the early church, after maybe a couple hundred years, like this just the ending doesn't fit. They looked at the rest of the other letter, letters and they kind of filled in an extra little ending. And uh, some scholars, they kind of debate, why end like this? But the question is some of our scholars is what if this was intentional? Like what if Mark wanted you to leave in this tension of both hope and fear? Right? Because that's many of our experience, probably on this earth, right? There's this episode of hope. He is risen. He's not there. It doesn't say that they even saw him. It's this aspect of hope. But for, for the women, there is this fear. Is it was which was gonna win out? Is, is hope going to win out or is fear going to end or win out? And that question, it kind of leaves for the readers. And I think for us is there's these hope and fear. What is going to win out in our lives? Like we get to kind of finish this, the story of hope and fear. Psychologists actually believe there is a link between hope and fear. That they are both motivators. one. Uh, toward something and one away from something, both cause a- anticipatory uh, physiological responses, which means your body kind of reacts the same way in both hope and fear, that you kind of get the sweaty palms, the sweaty pits, which is what I have right now. Um, you know, where there's this expectation, yet there's uh, this fear. There's this uh, excitement, this anticipation, Hope would say it's this anticipation of a future that is better than the present. Fear would say there's an a anticipation, a future that's worse than the present, right? How many of us want a, a future that's better than the present, right? That's hope. And so there's this link between hope and fear. And hope has this power. I'm going to pick on my Browns fans because, right, hope has this power. I see it every April, right, around the draft. They, they think if we just draft the right people, we're going to the Super Bowl, right, if we make these trades. But I could tell you hope and fear, they, they are linked. I can share a story. Um, so... Um, in 2016, the birth of our first son, um, we are you know a little hippie-ish, we, we did a home birth. And so we are uh, at home in a birthing pool, a nice little jacuzzi tub in our living room. It's an it's a actual birthing tub. And, and so we are, uh, there's this anticipation, this expectation, right, of, of getting to meet my son for the first time yet there is some fear, right? Like what if things go wrong? And at one point uh, during the birth, uh, my wife uh, turned uh, away from the midwife and there's my son just like floating in the water. And, and I had to like grab him, I pick him up, and, uh, and there he is. And I, I give him to the midwife and there's this anticipation. Is he going to breathe, right? Is he gonna make his first breath? after I changed my underwear and uh, was going on, um, we got to meet my first son, right? And I got to experience what that is like. But the the problem is, you know, um, sometimes we just think of hope as optimism, right? just optimism that circumstances will come together and things will work out. But what I'm gonna challenge us in this series and this morning is that hope goes even below the surface to the source of our circumstances. How do we have hope that goes below the surface, that's like this source of everything in our life? How can we even make sure that that source is like certain? Like we can really give our life to this hope, right? Because I don't know about you, all of us, I'm sure experience fear. Fear of I mean obviously in the past few years there's we went through a pandemic and just fear of our health and our loved ones our jobs finances and currently you know uh, just when we thought right we're we're getting beyond this right there's there's even talks of rise of cases but even then right? Um, there's this invasion into Ukraine, and now there's this threat of World War III and inflation and all these things, right? We, how do we navigate fear, and how do we have a source of hope that transcends all of our fears? How does hope win out in our life? Because I don't want, you, I don't want to have a misplaced hope, all right? I got an awful admission, all right? I, I, have to, I hate having to admit this Cause my street cred is going to go out the window, um, but I'm a '90s kid and I used to like Beanie Babies. Okay, and so every Easter I was hopeful that I mean, somebody—how many had Beanie Babies, right? I mean, come on, I'm not the only one. So anyway, every Easter it reminded of this because every Easter my sister and I where we would just be excited and hope that we got Beanie Babies uh, for Easter in our Easter basket. And then my mom would make us like, put on our Easter outfits that she got us and we'd sit on this piano bench and she would take our picture of our new Beanie Babies. right? And uh, so we did this up until I was in high school. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, uh, we would, uh, but our hope was, man, we're going to make money off of these, right? We're going to collect these. We're going to stand in line. We're going to get the, the one Beanie Baby that's worth all this money. Um, there was this hope. And I remember why I read one family, one guy spent $100,000 on Beanie Babies. Um, made his kids go to McDonald's to get all the, you know, the small little Beanie Babies. Um, and if you're familiar with Beanie Babies, what eventually happened? All of you got like a, a garbage bag full of Beanie Babies somewhere in your attic or something, right? The price plummeted, right? Here's the thing, I don't, I don't wanna hope that's like a Beanie Baby hope, right? I don't want to live a life of a misplaced hope. How do we have this certain hope uh, that transcends, again, all the fears that we go through? To answer that question, we're going to go to First Peter. Um, we're going to read just one of those uh, one of those disciples, Peter. Um, he goes on to encounter Jesus, and he becomes like this leader of the church, and. Um, and sometime later, he decides to write this church, which is like in modern day Turkey. And this church is getting persecuted. And, and mainly, this church is, is Gentiles. These are non Jewish people, where now the, like the Roman occupiers are getting like they're actually trying to squash out this Christian movement, this, these Jesus people. And so they are getting persecuted. They are fearful uh, for their life, that they actually could be killed uh, for their faith in Jesus. And so Peter is going to write to them and say, this is how we have hope in the midst of the fear that you're experiencing. We're going to uh, be in chapter 1, verse 3 of First Peter. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I like that just saying right here. Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it gives us this inheritance. And he he says this inheritance, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It doesn't lose its value. Nothing can take take it away. We have this future hope. It's because of the resurrection, right? We have this future hope. And this is what it means to be followed Jesus. The, the resurrection points that death is not the end, right? That, that we're, there is a hope for the future, all right? And so, I mean, if you've been to, I know I, and lately I've just done uh, some funerals and different things. Uh, there is great hope when, when you know someone that you love and that you cherish, someone that has suffered maybe um, with, with a specific disease. There's a great hope knowing that they're suffering no more. We have this future hope that nothing can take away. No fear can take that away. I mean, you could put the next slide there. We have this hope for the future. It, It can't be taken away. It is for us, it is an inheritance. But the question I'm gonna ask is, is that it? As followers of Jesus, do we just have a hope for the future? What about for us now? What about the fears we encounter now? Is, is it just to hold on until we get to that future? Is, is that our really only a hope? Is, it, is our only hope to really just suffer it out until we get to that future? That word hope is, is the Greek word um, elpis. It means expectation. It means translated as hope, but it actually has expectation of what is sure, what is Certain, it's a, it's a hope that is, again, the source of certainty. So how do we have this source that is heaven that we can experience even now? I'm going to read this again. Uh, because it says, Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I like how Eugene Peterson translated this way in the message. He says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. But he says this, and the future starts now. God is, keep, is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming where you have it all and life healed and whole. Friends, the resurrection means not merely that us as followers of Jesus, that we have a hope for the future, but we have a hope from the future. Like we have been given, this this idea of the resurrection means that we get a hope, not again, not just for the future, but that this future hope can actually break into our life. We can experience and taste this future hope. You guys remember uh, back in the day, back in the 90s, uh, when there was actually stores in the mall, right? And there was restaurants in the mall, right? And you could go uh, through the cafeteria, and the best places, right, where the guy would be out with like samples, right? You know what I'm saying? It's usually like this bourbon glazed chicken, all right. What, what's the point of that? So you can get a taste, right? So you can get a taste, so you know for certain, if I taste this and I like this and I order this, if I get a taste of it first, right, I'm gonna be certain that I'm gonna like it. And this is what it means. This, this resurrection, what this passage is saying is not that we just have a hope for the future, but that we actually get a taste of the future and the hope of Jesus. We can be certain because we've had experience and we've tasted the hope that Jesus offers in this life. We could experience this. I want to continue on in 1 Peter 8. It says this. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with an expressible and glorious joy because you are receiving. It doesn't say you are going to receive, right? It says you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we live in this idea that we get hope from the future, not just for the future. Uh, In the vineyard, we we use this concept called the already not yet. All right, if you've ever heard us, if you've been around, if you're around in the future, you're going to hear this over and over again. Uh, that this idea of the kingdom is breaking into our now. So for most people, I going to put this graphic on the screen, uh, for, the first, for most Jewish people, they saw the world in two different worlds, right? They had this present age, uh, age of uh, the, what we call the earth, the world, the age of sin and death. And their hope was a Messiah would come and they would bring the people into the age to come, or what we would call heaven, or the kingdom of God. There was this hope in this Messiah to, that they would go from one um, one world to another. And I think in the Christian context, we've, hel- we've h- held on to this, uh, this mindset where we just believe by the cross, through the resurrection, that one day we're just going to leave this earth and then we'll go to heaven and, and that's the story of the gospel. But the reality, that's not the, the complete story of what Jesus had to offer. This is not the complete story of what Jesus even set out to do. He went around announcing and proclaiming that this, this heaven, this age to come, is, is near. It's accessible. It's in within grasp. It's breaking into the, this age. And so we use this graph a lot in this next. This overlap of what we call the already and not yet, where we still live in this earth. It's plagued with sin and death. We experience the fallenness of this world probably on a daily basis, and all of us will experience the end of that in death. But the good news of Jesus and the hope from the future is that this future age, this, this future heaven breaks into the here and now, and we can taste and experience what God has for us now. I say this too because, you know— um, for this letter, for these people of 1 Peter, these were Gentiles, right? These are people who, who have no Jewish background, no Jewish story. So for the Jewish people, where they got their hope was they would look to the past of all the things that God do, had, had done for him. They would look at the Exodus. They would remember the Passover. They would look to the past as a source of hope because they could trust their source of, of their hope was the faithfulness of God. But these Gentiles... And I think it includes many of us, if we picture this. Maybe for you, you have no story of God's faithfulness in your life. You have no experience of God's faithfulness. How are you going to look to the past in order to have this source of hope? This is why Jesus, he gives us what he calls the Holy Spirit as as a down payment of the inheritance. You guys experience that? Uh, Remember this uh, verse out of Ephesians 1. It says, The Holy Spirit, this gift that God gives us, is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God. This is how we experience uh, this future hope. For us that may not have a story from the past, God gives us the Holy Spirit, a story from the future to break into our life now. So I'm going to share this quote um, from Tim Keller. He has a book uh, called Hope in the Times of Fear. He says, the resurrection was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. Since humanity turned away from God, both the human and natural worlds have been dominated by sin and evil, disorder and disease, suffering and death. Again, these are all sources of fear. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated the first stage of the coming of God's power into the world to restore and heal all things. Uh, In my pocket here, uh, I got some seeds, all right? These are apple seeds, so you can laugh. Call me Johnny Appleseed, I get it, all right? Living up to my name. But the reality is, right, for many of us, right, we've been giving us, when we say yes, to Jesus. We've been given the seed that comes from the future, right? And, and, and the reality is as followers of Jesus, if we just say, okay, I've got my seed. I'm going to wait until heaven for this thing to blossom and grow into my soul, right? We're going to miss out on what God wants to do right in the here and now. The reality is if we trust in Jesus, if we say yes to him, if we, if we believe in this resurrection, just like this seed, this seed has all the capabilities of, of coming to life it can come into the life of our souls. It can bear fruit in our life, no matter if it's in our relationships, our emotional health. If you look at even the injustice in this world, we can be and embody this future seed, this future hope. We can experience that in the here and now. We have a hope, again, not just for the future, but a hope from the future. So how do you experience this? How do you, how do you live out this future hope in the now? I just have a few things that I'd encourage you to do. Just some things that, I, again, I would encourage all of us to do and just within this series. And, and one of those, the first thing is, is just to continue uh, coming back to each Sunday of this service. Um, you know, we are going to be doing this series for the next this week and the next three weeks. We're going to talk about hope in the midst of fear. Because it is one thing, right, to believe the resurrection really happened right? It is one thing to believe, okay, yeah, Jesus really rose from the dead, but it's another thing to believe, but also to know what it means, right? To know what it means for our life. Or as Phil preached, uh, you know, last week, so what, right? What is the so what? And so we're going to talk through how this future hope can impact, again, our emotional life, If we're navigating depression, if we're navigating anxiety, these things that continue to rob us, the fears, um, we're going to talk through that. We talk through relationships, the broken down of relationships, uh, and even just the injustice, the stuff we're experiencing just in our world. How does this future hope impact those three things? I'm gonna send out just a little devotional. If you text the word hope uh, to our our phone number, 740-689-8463, don't worry. I'm not gonna like text you. We're not gonna bombard you. It's not gonna be like the worst group text ever, okay? Um, it, it, we're just gonna send you a little devotional midweek uh, just to again remind you of this hope. And this third thing is, is just a practice that uh, I want you to, to uh, um to try on is this idea of waiting on God. Uh, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Like when I get a haircut, like I wanna go in, like have them cut my hair and then just walk out. Like go to the doctor's office. I wanna like go in, do the thing and leave. I I do not like waiting. Uh, But the Hebrew word actually means, can be translated hope, can be also translated wait, to wait. To wait on God. For the disciples after the resurrection, their first command after Jesus ascended was to wait on the Holy Spirit. To wait uh, for him, to wait in his presence. Psalm 40:31 says this, but those who trust, the word is again could be translated those who wait or those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength right? You guys know this one. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Psalm 39, 7 says this, now, Lord, what do I wait for? What do I hope for? My hope is in you. See, as followers of Jesus, in order to live out this future hope, we have to see that God is the source of our hope, and we need, oftentimes, he asks us to wait to wait on him, to wait on his presence. So I would encourage you even maybe starting out your mornings just waiting on God. Could be five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you you have. Before you jump into a devotional, before you jump into a reading, just spend spend some time waiting, waiting on God, waiting on his presence, inviting him in, asking him to experience um, his presence. I wanna end here just with a story. So I, I told you about um, this experience of meeting my son, right? This, this experience of hope and fear. But there's a little bit of a backstory. Um, so my wife and I, we are uh, a couple weeks away from um, our 10 year anniversary. And um, after a couple years, we were ready for kids and yet we couldn't get pregnant. Um, there was a few years, I think it was like two, I think it was a total of three years um, where we couldn't get pregnant. Um, a little more backstory, uh, my wife had lost her cycle when she was 18. So for 10 years, uh, she did not have uh, her cycle. Uh, doctors told her that she would not be able to have kids probably. Um, and so, uh, you know, but the weird thing is, is we had people tell us, give us like, I had a dream about you. And we saw two little girls running around um, uh, the church. Um, and, and so we, all these people, like Jess had a word, somebody said, you're gonna be a mom of many. And uh, I, I tell you, in, in, I, in the, uh, the summer and fall of 2015, we kind of really hit a low point uh, where we're like, we were really struggling. We were losing hope. We were both, we're getting fearful. And um, i just become on staff as a youth pastor, and we took our, our youth to uh, this thing called, called Cloud Nine. And uh, so Cloud Nine is this youth retreat with all different vineyard youth groups. And so I'm in this breakout session, um, and there's about 25 teenagers in this, in this little breakout room, and it's me and another adult that are in this room. And there's a lady there, and her name is Daniela. She's doing this talk on prophetic dreams and different things. And as she's teaching, she stops in the middle of her teaching and goes, man, I get this overwhelming sense that someone uh, here, they're struggling to get pregnant. (laughs) 25 teenagers, right? (laughs) Probably not the best place to share that word, right? Like, you gotta have some faith in that word. Like, that's gotta be God, right? is, is there a Mary in here? No, just kidding. Um, and so me and the other guy are like, see, we don't like may eye contact with each other, you know, because we're the only one adults. And I wish I would have said something there uh, because afterwards I went and, because knowing the story, I'd love the teenagers to, to, to get an idea. And so afterwards I said, I think that's for us. My wife is actually here. Um, and so later on the session, she came and she prayed over us. And uh, that was like October 20-something. Exactly a month later on my wife's birthday, we found out she was pregnant. Um, I share that again. And I know that's a sensitive subject. And that's not even the means to the end. But for me, that was a future hope breaking into my present. That was this idea of the Spirit of God coming alive in my life and tasting and experiencing, like, this is what God has for me, and that he can experience that now. And I've been ruined by that. I've been ruined by this experience that this thing, the seed in our life, it it can grow, and it can bear fruit. And and here's the reality. When we we live this out, and we live with this future hope for the now, here's the thing. It, It can face anything from the not yet right? It, it can give us hope for anything we encounter in the not yet. And, and this is my hope is for people. This is, this is uh, just something that's been clarity for me is, is I've been put on this earth so people can encounter the good news of Jesus and to experience the good news of his kingdom in the here and the now. And that's what I want our church to experience, is they get a taste, they get a, a little sample of what God has for them, and they give their life to this, this hope.